All right, my name is Daniel Smalley. I work in the uh, MIT Media Lab in the Object-Based Media Group. And today I'm going to talk about an inexpensive instantiation of one of MIT's holographic video display architectures. But before I do that, I'm going to first talk about MacGyver. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with MacGyver, MacGyver was a popular character on TV during the 80s. He had this encyclopedic knowledge of math and science, and he was very creative, which meant that he could defuse a bomb with a ballpoint pen, he could make a rocket out of fertilizer, he could, uh, what is it, seal a tank of acid with a chocolate bar, and, you know, all sorts of things. If you, if you locked him in a room, he could do all sorts of cool science with just the stuff he had laying around. Now, I'm going to assert that holographers have a proud tradition of this MacGyver-like resourcefulness, right? Now think about this. Holography is not just done by people with Newport tables and a DARPA grant. It's done by people all over the world, even middle schoolers and third world countries. And the reason that it has such wide participation, I believe, is that there have been some very creative people, many here in this room, who have come up with some very resourceful ways to create things like these liquid lenses next to Graham Saxby from acrylic and mineral oil, uh, these sand table for holography that they would stick PVC pipe in with optics, these uh, display mounts made out of slats of steel and magnet. And so, oh, here's a good example from my middle school scrapbook, right? This was a, this is my first laser built from a design in the book, Homemade Holograms, by John Iovine. And if you look in the top right corner, you'll see the 12-volt ignition coil that mysteriously disappeared from my dad's car while I was building this, right? So anyone who had kind of grown up in this MacGyver generation would look at what this, this, this display, which this is the Mark II holographic video display built by Pierre, and uh, it and, and friends. And it, is, uh, it becomes something of a shrine and in that uh, it's a testament to his great engineering that's still working and demoing after 14 or 15 years. But it's also Jim, the high priest, who's the only one who's allowed to touch it for fear that we might break something irreparably. So someone from the MacGyver generation will look at this and let's say, how can we make this cheap and, you know, with duct tape and my Swiss Army knife. So our goal is to build our own holographic video display based loosely on these architectures. Um, spend less than $500, you know, have an image extent roughly the same size as a, you know, a holographic plate, um, enough view zone to get both our eyes in. Eventually, we'd like it to have enough vertical resolution to be considered standard television resolution. To start off with and to talk about today, we're just going to vet it with a, a small fraction of that resolution. And we want video rate, um, and we want to be able to drive it with a, a you know, a regular computer. Uh, we, we're, gonna base, we're going to base our display off this, the Mark I architecture. It's a, one of the simplest of the MIT scanned architectures. It's composed of uh, these two lenses. You've got a, there's a first lens and second lens that create a telescope. And at the Fourier plane of the telescope is a polygon scanning mirror that scans the image of an acoustic pattern here on the acousto-optic modulator. Acoustic modulators are nice, and they're also not nice, and they're not nice and nice for the same reason. And the reason, and, and that, that reason is that they have no pixel structure. They're kind of like a hose that spits out pixels, or, you know, an acoustic equivalent of pixels. And so you can, you can fill up any aspect ratio you'd like, but you have to use scanning, which is, can, can be 
in, in the world of solid state that is, that is sometimes unattractive. But it is very flexible and very good for experimentation because given a flow of pixels, you can use those pixels any way you want. After, you know, you don't have to build a new AOM to get a display that's larger or a wider view, view zone. You can trade those things off relatively fluidly by changing a focal length of a lens or, uh, or a, 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 frame, a frame refresh or something like this. And this is uh, demonstrated down here in this relation between bandwidth, temporal pixel clock, and the, you know, the size of your display, the view angle of your display, the vertical lines in your display, and the frame rate. All those things can be traded off. The only thing that isn't tightly bound to this bandwidth is the vertical tallness of the image. Since it's horizontal parallax only, the vertical tallness of your image is, is just how much your vertical scanning mirror can scan, um, given the time it's given in the, in the for frame refresh. As an example of this, and you can trade off, of trading off parameters, we have, you know, you can have an image that's wide with a narrow angle, or you can trade off that wideness for more view angle. You can trade off frame rate for higher vertical resolution. <clears throat> the math, the, some of the key equations given in Pierre's thesis that govern this geometry are these two here, and in them they have the bandwidth of the acousto-optic modulator related to the delta x here, which is the size of the Fourier plane, which is also the facet size on your polygon. The other parameter related to the polygon is this large omega. This is the angle of scan of the polygon, and that will dictate the number of facets on your polygon. So once you've chosen a polygon, you've, you've uh, started to really constrain these two. So let's see, here we go. So we're going to lock ourselves in a room with these materials and then do the MacGyver thing and create ourselves a display. Um, Maybe you'll recognize this reflector from that hologram toy. It's kind of the clamshell with the, the frog inside. We've got one half of the XY scanner, one half of the, the XY scanning pair that you can buy from some Chinese companies, some extruded aluminum, some regular plate aluminum. Uh, you can't see the vertical diffuser very well, but it's there. And uh, this piece right here is just the polygon and laser assembly that's ripped out of a, a copy machine. That's what we're going to use as our polygon. One thing that you do not see here that's very important is the acousto-optic modulator. Now, <clears throat> this is an artifact from the past. This is a, a bulk wave acousto-optic modulator. And uh, these cost about $1,000 per channel. So each of those hoses I was talking about, there's that one hose would be one channel. You can buy modulators that have multiple channels. Uh, this one has three, and so it's like about $1,000 per channel. That's going to blow our budget. Well, this will be useful to test our display, but eventually we want to move to something else. Um, the work I do for my PhD is building guided wave acousto-optic modulators on wafers and li of lithium niobate. I actually do that in Hank's lab. And uh, these have the advantage that they can be made during using regular photolithographic processes. And they can be made extremely high bandwidth at relatively low cost. You can make one of these wafers for a few hundred dollars and then chop it up in 20 or 30 pieces and uh, add bandwidth with very little additional cost. So for today's purposes and vetting the architecture, we'll use the bulk wave modulator knowing that we're going to add more bandwidth with an inexpensive modulator later on. So this polygon that we pulled out of the copier has you know, a two centimeter facet and six sides. That gives us two important um, parameters to plug into our equations. We can pause now and think about what's the best that this display could ever be using this particular polygon. It's unlikely that we'll achieve that on this iteration, 
But given this polygon, the best we can do would be to get something with 40 centimeter width and 10 degrees view angle, something with 25 centimeter width or f and 15 de degrees view angle, or something with 10 centimeter width and 38 degrees view angle. So here's the uh, a kind of modified view of what the optical path would be. Again, it's just the, uh, the telescope. Here's the first lens of the telescope. The second lens is this parabolic reflector that we've kind of chopped in half here. The, uh, polygon and the vertical scanning mirror sitting near the, the Fourier plane of the system. And then the, you know, the, uh, the diffuser sits, sits here. That will help diffuse light out vertically so it can be viewed vertically as well as horizontally. Here's how it all folds into a monitor form factor. Uh, I'll also point out these cards in the back. Each of these has a DVI input and then RF outputs. They're just up-converted video signals, so it can be driven from a, a regular PC. Currently, we're trying to drive it with three video cards coming out of a single PC, each with dual heads for 18 total channels RGB. 18 total channels, including the RGB as individual channels. Here's some uh, of our very first images. We've uh, made some holographic stereograms. One of our first tests was we had, had it, you know, a holographic stereogram being a, a 2D image shot in a particular direction. So we've got it showing MSNBC from the left, the BBC from the center, and then Fox News from, from the right. This, you know, this is one of the key results of this, of this is that, we can, that I, my dad and I could actually sit down and watch this display together. So, and then down at the bottom, just so we have something that's in color, we, we, I took several channels, each made them each a different color, and then combined them with a the diffuser, and so we've got little multicolored Mario. He's missing blue only because the blue laser died just as I was walking with the camera. I had to take the picture, so we're waiting for a new one to come in. As far as the parameters so far, we, uh, we, we're just about right on width. The height is a little low just because we're not using the full scan of our vertical scanner. Uh, the view angle is okay. We can improve that. We're only using one channel, so we've only got 1 18th of the vertical resolution that we'll eventually have. And uh, frame rate is, is 30 frames per second as designed. The cost, um, we're under our $500 goal. You'll note that most of the cost is in the, the creating of those PCB boards. So there's, if you want to spend less, then you'll find some, I mean, each of those SMA connectors, those RF, S, you know, SMA connectors, that's $5 a piece. So a lot of that money is just in those RF connectors. So if you wanted to spend less, there's lots of ways to do it in the PCB. If you want to spend more, the thing I would recommend is to use a nice big scanner rather than one of these little, um, uh, one of the little Chinese XY scanners. The reason for this is because you want to capture all of the scan that comes off that polygon. Um, otherwise, it limits the view angle and it limits the, the maximum size. So if we want to achieve something close to the ideal values we calculated, um, this is something that you'll want to do. Okay, so that's part of our future work. Improve on, you know, the, address the distortion, replace the modulator with one of our custom modulators, and uh, use RIP or one of the other MIT algorithms to get full motion video. There's a, a possibility of using a birdbath configuration with a beam splitter, similar to what's used in other MIT architectures, so that we can get rid of some of that scanning aberration. And then, of course, duplicate it, iterate it. Um, that's future work. Future play would be to add a connect, see if we can get, you know, head-tracked vertical parallax. Maybe we could figure out some kind of funny digital mirror. 
I think a steampunk design with brass and ivory would be really awesome. Uh, some of these really large, low-angle instantiations could actually be important parts of a large alcove display, and that's something that we could look at. But I have to realize as a grad student, it's very unlikely that I'll be able to do any of these things. We'll have you know, undergraduates and children in third world countries who, um, who can do this. I and my colleagues will be stuck in a room with these parts, seeing what we can make with them. And uh, that's it. Questions for Dan? Um, yeah, I have a question. How fast is that uh, gallium arsenide uh, uh, AO modulator, or li lithium niobate, or AO uh, gallium arsenide modulator? So you probably want to know bandwidth is what you're interested in. So there's, there's a yes. lot of fast, yeah, okay. So bandwidth, that's, that's variable. At the moment, uh, arbitrary. So we, we don't know how, how high it can go at the moment. The diffuser you use, there's normally diffuser or should be specially designed? Uh, no, it's a, it's a vertical diffuser. You can buy it from um, lighting sources, optical sciences in California. You can buy it on big sheets and rolls. You can even brush aluminum in one direction and use it that way, or use a very fine-pitched lenticular. Any other questions? Thank you again, Dan. <laughs>